0: We are in Paul's letter to the Galatian churches, or the churches of the Galatian area, in the third chapter. Join me as I read from Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 14. We'll read 5 through 9 primarily for context, and our primary text for the evening will be verses 10 through 13. I'm sorry, 10 through 14. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For, quote, The just shall live by faith, end quote. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, and God. We gather again in this place that you've provided. The work of many contributed to the building of this facility and its maintenance, keeping it in good repair and functional. But Lord God, we are by faith confident that you established this place. that It is your hand and by your hand that it will continue that it is by your grace that we gather. By your grace, Heavenly Father, that we can open your word and by your spirit learn that word and share that word. Lord, all that is of value, all that is of worth, all that is eternal comes by your sovereign hand. And we ask, Lord God, Heavenly Father, that this evening, you might do an eternal work in each heart, in each mind. That we would be lifted up. That we, Heavenly Father, would be encouraged by the great sacrifice that you did ordain would be made. For the good of your people, for the glory of your Son, and for your own glory. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your hand upon us, your spirit within us, and your word before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Beginning at verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It's written in God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27. The historical context is the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, were freed by God from Egypt were delivered by God to the promised land, the land promised to them. Reluctant to go in, they wandered for 40 years. Till those who were reluctant passed away. And now Moses prepares the people to enter in. We know from reading that he will not himself enter into the promised land But he takes these last few steps to prepare God's people to enter in. And he delivers the law again to them. And in Deuteronomy 27, 26, we read the words that were referenced in that text from Galatians. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, and all the people shall say amen. he is dictating, he is describing to them, The actions they will take in taking over the land of the heathen. That they will do so under God's sovereign hand in obedience to the law he provides. And that curses will come to those who are disobedient. Blessings will come to those who follow God's commands. It's a principle established under the Mosaic system. And it is a principle relative to God's law that continues today. Law is provided to transgress any part of the law is to become a lawbreaker. We read that in James chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, I'm sorry, verses 10 and 11 says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Time and again, Paul has brought forward in this simple little letter, clearly, that the law can do but one thing, and that is to judge. When it is applied to sinful men, it can do only one thing. It can show our sinfulness. God may use it in many different ways, but in its fundamental capability in and of itself, it can simply show us that we do not meet the mark. We do not meet God's standard. Verse 11 in Galatians 3 says, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident... For the just shall live by faith. The byword of this simple epistle. Justification, declaration of righteousness, assigning one as righteous comes only through faith. Faith in the true God. Faith in his promises. Time and again, the Apostle Paul says, It's not of works, it is of faith. And we've learned, since we've started studying this epistle again, that it has always been that way. It has never righteousness has never come by the law, but always by faith. In fact, the, the declaration that the just shall live by faith comes from one of the minor prophets from the book of Habakkuk. The first words penned where it said, "The just shall live by faith in so many words in the second chapter." But it became a byword in the New Testament. We see it here in Galatians. Paul wrote it to the Roman church, the church in Rome, in the first chapter of his epistle. And the author of Hebrews declares the same. The just shall live by faith. Verse 12. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Sometimes Paul Much like other theologians keep saying the same thing in subtly different ways to make sure that we don't misunderstand and that the point is driven home. The law is not of faith, but God's word declares, the man who does them shall live by them. That's a quote from the 18th chapter of Leviticus. I will read that portion, I guess. Leviticus 18, verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where, the, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and my, my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. God's law, God's word, God's precepts are the path for life. Obedience to them brings life. Transgression of them brings death. Man may formulate laws. They formulated laws in Egypt. They created laws in Canaan. But it is not the laws of men that bring life. It's the law of God if you keep them. Of course, we understand there is only one that ever kept the law. Christ Jesus, our Lord, the man God. And it's his righteousness, his obedience, that we must look to. Again, verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Again, enforcing and reinforcing, not of the law, but of faith. Righteousness by faith, not by works of the law. even declaring that if righteousness, if justification could have come by the law, then Jesus died for nothing, for no good reason. But again, it was not possible through the law, for the law only shows us our need for grace. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's written. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21, if you would please. Just to validate, just to see this reference. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Pointing back to Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 to 23. The scripture says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. We talked a great deal this morning, heard a great deal this morning, solid teaching about the cross, Christ's death on the cross, the imputation of his righteousness righteousness upon us, he receiving our sin upon him. We talk a lot about Jesus' death, and we should, his death on that cross. But our text this evening brings out something that we talk about less often. And that is that Jesus was cursed on the cross at Calvary. He redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse because cursed is everyone is everyone who hangs on a tree so important was it that we understand that Jesus Christ not only died for us but was cursed for us that thousands of years previous God had placed it within the text to declare that one who hangs on a tree must be known, must be understood, to be cursed. And we must come to grips with the notion, the concept, the understanding that this Jesus who is perfect, this Jesus who did no wrong, went to the cross and received upon himself for us the curse of being a sinner. The curse due to those who transgress God's law. By way of illustration, we can turn back to a, right near where we looked at in Deuteronomy 20, uh, 28. We just looked at Deuteronomy 27. We look at Deuteronomy 28. It's in that same historical context. The people are about to go into uh, the promised land. And I want to read something just by way of example, by way of illustration. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6. The people are preparing to go in, and Moses is instructing, and he's going to orchestrate what they are going to perform when they enter in to declare their obligation to be obedient to God and to His laws. And what will come? Should they be obedient, or should they stray? Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 6 says, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall be, shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be, shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. A few verses later, we see the other side of that same coin. The cursing, or the curses that come through disobedience. Verse, beginning at verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all the com- commandments and his statutes, which I command you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you, verse sixteen cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country, cursed shall you be shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your hand, of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. In God's legal system, when God establishes law, there are only two possible outcomes: blessing through obedience, curse curses through disobedience. Now these were temporal cursings and temporal blessings. The promises and and, and the obligations established for Israel as they entered into the promised land were for that time and for that place. God made that clear earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, back in chapter 6. He declared in the first verse Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God and keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you. And you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Promises of blessing through obedience... Warnings of cursing through disobedience that they may possess the land and it be bountiful and a blessing to them. I provide that by way of illustration because, in each context where God establishes law, He establishes penalties for disobedience and blessings for obedience. In the text we're studying this evening, Galatians chapter 3, to clip. Chapter 3, verse 13 declares, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. But what curse does it speak of? What law is it speaking of? As far as I know, we are all Gentiles of a Gentile heritage. We were not under the covenant that was just described in Deuteronomy. There were no temporal Promises and warnings. What curse does Paul write of that was a curse upon the people of Galatia and would be upon us today? Well, it was an ancient curse because of the breaking of an ancient law. If you turn back to Genesis chapter 2, if you would please. As soon as God created man, he established a legal system, he established a simple law to place before his creature, to place before his creation, created in his own image. that he would have a choice. It would be obedience and blessing or disobedience and a curse. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, he said to Adam, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And of course, We read later that he certainly did eat. That simple, some theologians call it an arbitrary command. We would like to believe that we would do better under such circumstances. But God's word makes it clear it would be no such thing. But he made this simple command, be obedient to me or the curse shall come. And, of course, Adam disobeyed. And then God declared to Adam, chapter 3, verse 17, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. It will be a life of toil, a life of difficulty, and a life with an end. And ultimately, he banished them from the beauty and the paradise that he had created for them. Genesis 3.23 says, Therefore the Lord sent him, Adam, out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. A simple command, a clear transgression, a curse received. Paul later, in his epistle to the Romans, would explain very clearly what that means to you and I today. And what it has meant to every man born of woman since Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we read this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. We see clearly in the New Testament text that which was alluded to, stated perhaps less clearly, in the Old Testament text, that we all sinned in Adam. We all participated in some spiritual way and receive upon ourselves the guilt of that transgression, the curse for that transgression. But we learned recently that God provided a means by which that transgression could be forgiven. And it was through faith. It was never through obedience to the law, for obedience was not possible, but it was always through faith. Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith, and it was imputed to him, it was credited to him as righteousness. Even as God established the the legal covenant, the law covenant in Moses, the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic promise continued to move through redemptive history, and men through faith trusted God in his grace for salvation, for justification, for their righteousness. In the days of Moses, in the days of Abraham, redemption was understood to come only through God's grace by believing in God's promises. In believing in God's promises, established and recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3, where it says, where God declared before Adam... Speaking to Satan, but declaring it before Adam, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to Satan, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Believers in the time of Abraham understood that a Savior was promised. They understood that a seed was promised in Genesis 22, Genesis 17, Genesis 15 and Genesis 12, where he promised to make Abraham a great nation, that he would have a, many descendants and a land. He, he promised Abraham in the 22nd chapter of Genesis, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed me, you have obeyed my voice. And finally, as redemptive history progressed forward, moving closer to where we are today, Ultimately, God's people understood that that Savior promised in Genesis, that that seed promised to Abraham, would be a righteous son of David. But what do these have to do with the curse? What do these have to do with our redemption? You see, when Paul declares in Galatians chapter 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, he is declaring that the redemption promised in the past described throughout redemptive history, maturing under the new covenant, under the new covenant in Christ, would reveal to us that the promised Savior of Genesis 3, the righteous Son of David, described in Isaiah, the promised seed of Abraham in Genesis 22, 17, 15, and 12, would be our redeemer and would have to die for the sins of his people. Because he is to redeem them from the curse upon them. To set aside the curse and to bring forward the blessing, redemption is needed from the curse of the law. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, would step into history as the kinsman redeemer of his people. A quick read in Leviticus chapter 25, we can see one example of the kinsman redeemer. Pastor this morning described that Jesus was to be the first fruit of many brothers of many kinsmen because he would redeem a people through his atoning death, through his sacrifice, and through receiving upon himself the curse that is our due. Leviticus 25.25 says, describes a process by which under the legal system at the time, a relative could fulfill the debts of a brother or cousin. Leviticus twenty five twenty five says, if one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if he is redeem, his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may, if he chooses to, he may redeem what his brother sold. They had a system for the same, accomplish the same thing through slavery, the sale of property. The kinsman redeemer could pay the debt The kinsman redeemer could pay the debt, but the the debt had to be paid in total. That's why Galatians 3.13 says, He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He did not simply die, which seems like it, it, it would have been enough. He received upon himself the curse the eternally beloved one, the one that God's word declares he delights in, the one who spoke when Jesus was baptized, saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In Jesus' transfiguration, he de- God declared, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. The Father loves the son and has loved the son eternally and perfectly. that eternally beloved son. To be the kinsman, redeemer of a cursed people. To bring to them the grace declared and promised to Abraham, to David, and to us today. Must hang on a tree, cursed of God. cursed, not cursed in some fantastical, superstitious way like we see on television shows or in books, judged, condemned, and in a sense cast off by the God who is his Father who loved him eternally. Have you ever wondered, I have wondered at times, what truly was meant when Jesus, hanging upon that cross at Calvary, cried with that loud voice, as recorded in Matthew 27, 46, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, meaning, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Certainly the two Who are eternally, the three who are eternally one cannot be separated. He didn't become not God, not one with the Father, but he did become cursed of the Father, judged by the Father. Having received our sin upon us, he received our curse upon him. And the one who is eternally beloved. The one who is eternally righteous. The one who is eternally. The delight of the father. Received upon himself. Our curse. It's more than I can fathom. But it was necessary. None whose Sins have been forgiven throughout time. Could be judged righteous in the sight of God without the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Without Christ having received upon himself their sin, their guilt, their curse. Our debt would not have been paid on the cross at Calvary if he had not received our curse upon himself. And if you want something to marvel at through the coming week, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, the Gentiles, in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, the eternal beloved, the eternal delight of God the Father, took our curse upon himself that we might be blessed. That we might be blessed when he was beaten he remained quiet when the crown of thorns were forced upon his head he didn't cry out when the nails were driven through his hands and his feet there's no record of an outcry When he hung upon the cross for six hours, suffocating under his own weight. The scripture records no outcry. But when he sensed being forsaken by God, he cried out. Then gave up his spirit. On the cross at Calvary, Jesus took upon himself all that the Father declared that we were deserving of condemnation, wrath, judgment, death, and a curse that we might receive the blessing of Abraham. That through faith, through faith and faith alone, we might receive the righteousness of Christ. He was cursed that we could be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, we are mere men. we cannot fathom the eternal love that you share with the Son and the Spirit. We cannot understand the perfect unity, the mutual delight, the glory. It is all beyond our reckoning. But as much as we can imagine it to be, as much as we can stretch ourselves to try to understand the wonder, the joy, and the beauty of the eternal love that you share. We consider that. And weigh it, Lord, against the love that loved us enough to send your son, that he would hang on a cross, that he would bear your wrath, that he would receive upon himself judgment and a curse, all so that we, Lord, might be blessed. And more than might be blessed, Lord, would be blessed. Lord, keep us mindful, Heavenly Father, of the price that was paid for us beyond reckoning. A price, Heavenly Father, paid by a Father who loves, and a Son who obeyed, and a Spirit who works all things. Lord God, we are in awe. Accept this, Heavenly Father, our insufficient gratitude, our insufficient wonder. But all the wonder, gratitude, and love that we have, Lord, we lift it up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.